0: Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and
1: streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Welcome to our weekly podcast, also heard on WOWO, whoa, whoa, out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Me and uh, my buddy Mike Raggs, I'm Chuck Curry, uh, back after a long vacation, or as they say in the industry, a long hiatus. Uh, Mike is not here this week, so we brought in our co host, uh, Kenneth Bachman, who goes by the name of Kenny B. How are you, Ken?
0: I am great, Chuck. And because I'm here, we're also going to. Uh have this show on WXPM in uh, Phoenixville. Oh, only about 1/100th one of the power of WOWO. But, you know, we are 500 watts, which is great for an
1: um, a light bulb. So I just want to point out uh, some general background. Uh, obviously, you like film, you like movies.
0: I, I do like movies. I, unlike you, I'm not, you know, the. I can't tell you who did everything in every movie, and I have not studied it as much as you have, but I've always been thrilled with movies as a as a spectator. And I gotta mention, because uh, we love to mention this theater, but we are today we're actually uh, taping this in the uh snack bar at the Pocono Cinema in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. We are. And of course that is a uh, originally it was a one uh screen theater. Now they you know it's broken up into three uh, smaller theaters, but I think both of us also are great fans of the freestanding movie theater with the uh, marquee outside as opposed to the cineplexes. So it's great to be here.
1: So I got a question for you just right off the bat. Give me your greatest uh, experience in a movie theater in, in your lifetime. What would you say?
0: Uh, okay, so this is this is going on broadcast. So uh, no, 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 that was a joke. Everybody, I never had that kind of experience in a movie theater. Uh There's two that uh, stick out in my mind. Okay. Uh, One was the first time I saw Planet of the Apes, uh, the Center Theater in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. back when my best friend Timmy and I, we would go to a movie on a Saturday, and we would basically see it over and over again, because they, they didn't throw you out between showings. So we probably saw it three times that day. The second one was an old uh, second-run theater in Mishawaka, Indiana. So the people from WOWO will probably know Mishawaka. Near, you know, it's in the South Bend area. Mm-hmm. We went to see uh, my my daughter, who was two or three at the time. We went to see one of the Star Wars movies, and much to my horror when the Ewoks were on the screen...
1: Talking about Return of the Jedi in yep. uh, 1983.
0: Yeah, so, so she was three years old, uh-huh. and she stood up and she yelled, shoot the teddy bears.
1: <laughs> I got another question, because, you know, it's interesting. You know, me and Mike have been doing this show for around, for five, five, five years, uh, the podcast and also on uh, Whoa. And, you know, we break the industry down sort of pre-COVID and post-COVID. And we always recollect about... You know some of our greatest experiences. This show is uh, about that, and you know when you bring up these 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 memories, the one thing that always sticks in my mind, the one memory I have is, you know, actually standing on a line, a city block with strangers, collectively waiting to get into a theater to see a big movie, and I, I you know, we we talk about this so much, especially post. COVID, how this generation, generationally, have not or may not ever experienced that. Again, I mean, I remember, you know, me and Mike always brought up our our greatest experience together was going to see Jurassic Park at the Ziegfeld in in, uh, in 93 in New York City and sitting in a crowded theater of 1,200 or 1,150 people. I remember going to see Independence Day in 90, 96, also with the Zigfield huge line. Uh, I, I guess like the last experience I, I felt would be probably Avengers, uh, end game where it, it was a, you know, mass crowd, highly anticipated people yelling and screaming and having a great time, uh, you know, with each other and experiences something collectively. But, um, with this, st- with the innovation of streaming, and we 'll talk more about that I want to you know jog your memory and get your opinion on where the industry is in your opinion, where it 's going to go um, it's just very different for for me it 's just very different uh there's good and I like there 's a lot of points about streaming that I do like I, I like binging, but uh watching a movie day to day where I could go to a theater a verse watch it on a stream just feels still. Bizarre to me.
0: Yeah, you know, I I've seen a lot of movies only on streamer only on television Mm -hmm. And you don't tend to remember. Oh, yeah, I remember the first time I saw that yet I've seen a movie that well I'll I'm gonna break uh, stride here and say it's a movie. I was gonna mention anyway, because it just had its 80th anniversary last weekend I have seen Casablanca a hundred times on television or on you know dvds or i think i probably even had a vhs at once i can remember three showings though of Casablanca where i can actually remember what i was doing what the day was like one was in london when they did the 50 year anniversary uh they they had done a restoration saw it on the big screen and two of them were here in the Pocono Cinema when I sponsored the revival. And yes, I went to see Casablanca twice in the same week. Those things uh, stick in your mind much more than all of those times that you see it on streaming. And the other one, because we both experienced this, uh, the difference between every year, Sunday night, CBS, uh, and The Wizard of Oz, and then having a an Easter weekend where we basically... We're selling out five shows, sometimes more than one theater, when we did a revival of it, and seeing it with people uh, in the uh, theater itself. Totally, totally different experience.
1: I agree. I'll give you a a story getting back into the fold of doing stuff before a crowd and a live audience. Uh, about a month ago here at Pocono Cinema in East Strasbourg, because that's where I'm based, and the WoWo audience knows that when they listen to me and Mike, we did a screening of Clerks 3, Kevin Smith's Clerks 3, which basically was a Phantom event. And then they started to release it slowly. It was a very limited release to some of the independent theaters around the country who wanted it. Now, I had a connection who knew the star of that film, Brian O'Halloran, and I put out a feeler, would Brian like to come down? to Pocono Cinema. I believe he lives somewhere uh, in New Jersey. And Brian said, yeah, I'd love to do it because he was doing a tour throughout the country promoting Clark's Street and doing Q&A. So I said, listen, if we could get Brian, it'd be a really cool thing. So Brian came to the theater. Uh, I've met him a few times. He actually has introduced, he actually introduced, believe it or not, uh, Avengers Endgame when we when we booked that. He came here. He's a big movie fan, same as uh, Kevin Smith. So he comes here, meets meets the crowd. We had about 100 people at night, really nice audience, very intimate setting, comes here, meets the fans, shakes hands. He's extremely humorous and a funny individual. We watch Clerks 3. I got to tell you, I uh, really liked the film a lot. I thought it was really good, and it made me realize, watching Clerks 3, that I sort of missed just a character-driven, no explosions, no big special effects, just getting involved or enveloped in characters. I did like, uh, I've always been a fan of the original Clerks, and I did like Clerks too. but I was surprised how much emotional impact Clerks Street had, and then I do it at and a Really, Brian did the Q&A, because he doesn't really need a co-host. He's like a stand-up comic and great with people, and we spoke to the audience, or he did, and filtered questions for about 45 minutes to an hour, and it was a really good time. So kudos to a gentleman and a scholar Brian O'Halloran for coming here and doing that and again another one for my personal memory bank and you know the feedback from people who come to this stuff is always the same it's a great memory it's a great memory and at the end of the day life is about our memory bank and going back to what we we enjoyed. And that is our happy place in our mind. And then a few weeks ago, we started this new series, which was called a Saturday Night Spotlight series. And what we want to do with that variation of title is focus on a certain film that has a little bit of an edge or a cult following that people would want to see back on the big screen. So considering the fact that Christmas is upon us, we said, let's do Gremlins from 1984. And we had a pretty good crowd of about 40 people who showed up. We decorated the stage and we did a lot of fanfare. I introduced it. And, you know... I saw Gremlins back in 1984, probably nine times in a movie theater. Very fond memories in one of the great, if not the greatest, pop culture movie year of all time, which we've stated on the show, me and Mike, many times, 1984. But every time you watch one of these films back on the screen with an audience, it's like watching it for the first time. So really good uh stuff. Now going forward, let's just bounce into what we do in terms of what's going on in the industry now. In terms of the Thanksgiving box office, okay? Year to year, Thanksgiving box office was down about 10% year to year, which is a little bit disappointing for the industry as a whole. Now, post-COVID or pre-COVID, it was down 50%, so we still got a lot of work to do. Now, Black Panda with Condo Forever uh 45 million over the weekend 367 million domestically this film is performing as expected which is very well disney which is uh their their animated division not pixar but this is disney's animation animated division strange world 12.5 just 18.8 million in 5 days of release variety just did a story and I hate to say negative and spin stories this way but they did report that this film ultimately will lose the studio about 145 million Dollars. So it did not perform why people didn't go to see it. I find some are perplexing. I didn't expect to do gangbusters, but this is a very low total. Now here's an interesting story which you could give me your feedback on this. Uh Knives Out to Glass Onion, uh, a mystery. Movie did thirteen and a half million dollars in its first five days. That is the biggest or best opening for a Netflix movie. Now uh there was a lot of articles written after this opening. Here's the strategy. They opened this movie for one week. They cut a deal with Cinemark, Regal, AMC. One week on about 665 screens. No independent theaters got this movie. They spent four, $4.5 million to promote it. As an example, Disney spent around $25 million plus to market Strange World. It was a very low marketing campaign. The strategy, is one week in theaters, then it will go dark for three weeks, and then on December twenty third, will pop up and reemerge on Netflix. Reviews have been great, audience reaction has been great. This is a franchise that can be built; it is being built. So, the article in Variety said, "How much money has Netflix left on the table with this strategy?" Your thoughts on that?
0: well, I, I, you know, I believe in businesses run by bean counters. When I was in business, I was part of the finance group, mm-hmm. and everything we did was analyzed by the bean counters. So you removed the emotion, yes. And my guess, my guess is that they didn't leave any money on the table. That they did, the, they did a um, calculation that said, okay, let's let's follow the model of the Irishman. Mm-hmm. Although they even cut it back a little bit from the Irishman, mm-hmm. uh, and we're gonna we're gonna give the throw the theaters a crumb, and then create a pent up demand for the following three weeks in fact we're gonna release it in a week when a lot of people are busy and won't get to see it
1: but okay so here's the thing I want you to give thought to this okay, okay let's say say the strategy was 30 days in a the theater right and that movie grosses a hundred plus million dollars which you would do right so 50 50 take that's 50 million dollars to Netflix it still goes on Netflix in day 31 what they have now is they have more awareness, right? They have more buzz. I don't think it hurts anything to give the theaters what they need—not what they want, but what they need, want and need—and they do need this. Why the stubbornness of the streaming companies to suffocate the theatrical model? It seems like a win-win if you just work—if they just work out a a, a, a a happy medium, a real marriage, not. Breadcrumbs. I just it just doesn't make logical sense because I'm in business myself, and it just seems like a stubbornness here that needs to dissipate before we really move forward.
0: Well, I, I actually think they're trying to starve the movie theaters, and I think tell me why. Well, because if I again, I'm I'm streaming, I'm Disney, I'm Netflix, I'm anybody else that's <clears throat> producing content, and I look at it and I say, okay, I can continue to give them their 35, their 50 percent, or whatever it is from ticket sales, depending upon the movie. And you know what? It, I'll throw them some crumbs, and if they stay open marginally, okay, I'm happy. If they do well, well, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be some independent films, I guess, although those are going straight to streaming. But if they fail, okay, well, the, you know, the biggest chain out there, AMC, which has all of its apes, which have you know inflated its value beyond what it's really worth, mm-hmm. it would be a $3 billion buyout. You've got the parent of Regal, which is in bankruptcy. Common shareholders will probably get nothing. You could you'd be able to pick that up for an assumption of fifty percent of the debt, probably. Same thing with Cinemark. You could buy that for a billion, two billion dollars. I'm Disney. I'm Netflix. You know what? If the theaters can't live like this, I'm just going to pick them up with the end of the Paramount doctrine. Uh, the movie theaters can now be owned by the movie producers. I know that which wasn't the case. As of when?
1: A year ago? A year oh, ago. Right, okay.
0: And I, I think there's some of that to it. Uh, mm-hmm. They are intent on maximizing stream revenue, uh, and believe me, uh, forget about what's in theaters. If Disney Plus had done better, you might not have seen Robert Iger come back as quickly.
1: I agree. Obviously, there had to be some fear and panic for that move to be made. Right? Yep. And so the, que- so the question is, can Disney produce, who owns Marvel, who owns the Indiana Jones franchise, can they make movies of these, this scale without the support of theatrical releases? I say they can't. Well, I say they cannot.
0: Yeah, but they could probably do it if they released it for a week or two. And mm-hmm. they could definitely do it if all of a sudden Disney owns 20,000 screens worldwide.
1: If which, it gets to that point, if it gets but to that but, but you're talking about you're going to have collateral damage before you get to that point. Yeah, but right? I, it's not a smooth transition. I,
0: I can see them doing just as well. Yeah. With a, hey, it's going to be a two-week release in theaters, and then we go to streaming. Because let's face it, after the first two weeks, most of the people that are really gung ho have already seen it five times.
1: Unless you're talking about Top Gun Maverick, which is a, which was a aberration in this post-COVID world. Yep, and I'm I, still impressed how that what that did. It's incredible. And I think did. it did that because yeah.
0: it was one of the few movies we've had mm-hmm. that really did speak to all the generations. The the Gen Xers and the Millennials and those who are the apes out there buying up AMC stock. Mm-hmm. And then the old people mm-hmm. who fell in love with Kelly McGillis mm-hmm. and uh Tom Cruise in the original one that, you know, we were we were a lot younger then.
1: Yeah. And uh here here's another one. Um Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which is a basically an audio, 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 autobiographical movie based on his early childhood and his love and desire to wanting to become a filmmaker starring Paul Dano and Michelle Williams. Got really good reviews. It's got uh, pre-festival buzz. They open it on uh, around 680 screens, which is... It's a little more than a limited, it's somewhere in between. It's not a wide release, but it's not a limited release. Okay, and the film does a little over three million dollars in five five days, which is considered disappointing. Uh, again, the, the question is: this is this is the industry issue: is why studios are nervous about spending twenty million dollars plus on a marketing campaign? Because if you can't get the horse out of the gate in this. Streaming world, you're 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 more leery to say let's stream this movie because we don't want to spend the marketing. It really? It's about the marketing money. Am I right? You, you are right. And yeah. that, I
0: mean, that's to me sounds like the perfect straight to video kind of uh, vehicle. Uh, you know, I, I I have to mention it a few times today because it is the greatest movie ever made, next to Poseidon Adventure. I agree. Uh, but Casablanca would go straight to uh, streaming today. It would not. It well, I wonder, you know, I,
1: I, me and Mike talk about this all the time. I, I wonder, like Rocky in 1976, I go back and I say to myself, okay, that was a completely word of mouth, grassroots, like, okay, what is this movie? Oh, I hear it's really good. Let me go see it. Uh And it sustains itself weekly, weekly, monthly, monthly, becomes a, a massive hit and one of the greatest franchises of all time in the film industry. It's still going with, with Creed uh three coming out. In March. So w- would Rocky be a theatrical movie? Or would it do? Would it have done well if it was released in, in this generation? Probably not. Probably, which, probably not. Yeah.
0: And, and I, I think, you know, because I've been thinking a lot of uh, this since the twenty six because whenever Casablanca has an anniversary, but, you know, that was very much a, that was catching lightning in a bottle when it first came out because it was, you had actual refugees from Europe mm-hmm. playing refugees from Europe, you had a refugee of from Europe playing Major Strasser, who's I think one of the ten best villains in uh, movie history, and it's one of the few movies of that of that time made during the war mm-hmm. where you don't have Germans bayoneting babies. Yeah, Strasser was going to sh- shoot <laughs> shoot Rick, but Interesting. it was they, they, there wasn't the overt violence that a lot of the movies had. And I think that's you know people today. You and I watched that movie. We love it. Somebody, a 20-year-old today watching it wouldn't understand it, and that's the problem with a character-driven or a plot-driven movie today doesn't make it unless that plot involves a lot of uh, bombs and uh, special effects.
1: Yeah. Let's bounce into some movie news. Uh, It was announced. This is good news for the industry. Amazon. Uh, which is a power player in terms of they got pretty deep uh, pockets, Uh, does say they will produce 12 to 15 movies that will play in theaters a year. That certainly uh, will help the cause Uh, Magic Mike 3. I just watched the uh, trailer. Actually looked really good. Uh, From what I, I read, the last 30 minutes of this film, Ken, will be a nonstop dance sequence. Chatham Tating, once again, is a star. Steven Soderbergh is a director. Selma Hayek is a female lead. Comes out Valentine's Day, uh, which is February of 2023, or that weekend. Uh, film, looks, uh, film looks good.
0: It will be interesting to see how people react to a 30-minute dance set.
1: I'm looking forward to it, because it, if it's, it's, it, it's something, give me something different. And uh, I'll I'll embrace it. Here's another one. You bounce off this with me. Uh, I'm reading that the opening scene in Indiana Jones 5, which is directed by James Mangold, not Steven Spielberg, will have Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones de-aged to the way he looked in the first three installments of the Raiders of the Lost uh, Ark franchise. Thoughts on that one?
0: Well, I, th- I understand they are they are using the Dick Clark process to do that, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's again, you, movies are gimmicks these days, and uh, you know it's it's a great gimmick, and we're going to have that person. And the
1: technology is good. Listen, yeah. I, you know, when you say de aging, the, the thought that goes in my head is the way Michael Douglas looked in in uh, Marvel's Ant Man movies. They, I thought they did a really good job, and when you watch, you know, when you watch it, it's sort of like. I don't I don't know what word to use. Surreal, or it's very interesting to do it and to see a whole segment of a younger-looking Harrison Ford who who is now eighty years old. Uh, I think that's going to be uh, an interesting draw to the film uh, overall. Yeah, we've had dead
0: people thanks to CGI. We've had dead people act in new movies. I mean, it, it's 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 happening.
1: We have, and uh, here's another story of interest: uh, Fast and the Furious X, which is Fast and the Furious Ten, which will be out. Uh, s- 2023 reported budget is ballooned to around 340 million dollars. I don't see a big deal there, whether it's 240 or 340. I mean, this is a, a franchise that has done extremely well performance box office wise worldwide. Uh, unless a movie completely stinks, it'll do at least a billion, so it's going to go into profit. So, uh, you know, w- w- when, when most movie bills for major studio releases or the catering bills are probably a few million dollars minimum, um. Who really cares It's not our money Right
0: yeah, It's not But I'll tell you something I, I'm I sure there are Executives out there And you know, I, I have a little bit Of involvement With a, uh, a movie company I'm sure there's Executives out there mm-hmm. That would have looked At the first Fast and Furious And said oh, This will never fly And that's a franchise Tenth movie It's basically The same thing Every time Okay they, Sometimes they chase With different vehicles They lost mm-hmm. one of their stars Part way through Because he died and it's, uh, you know, it's still going. It, it's just amazing what's happened with that franchise.
1: Yeah. Uh, one, one other thing, um, the big Christmas release, which is Avatar, uh, Way of the Water, comes out December 15th. I was looking at some of the showtimes, uh, Ken, of, of this film, and I noticed that at the local mall, two-thirds of the showtimes are going to be in 3D. So, you know... I've talked about this with Mike verbatim. When I, when I saw the original Avatar, I thought the 3D was outstanding. It was very interesting. But when I walked out of theater, I didn't know what the movie was. I didn't even remember until I watched it on Blu-ray what the movie was. And I realized it's a decent movie. It wasn't a great movie in terms of James Cameron's overall master work of Terminator 1 and 2 and True Lies and The Abyss and Titanic. Uh, I thought it was the least of his films. But having said this, this one's getting good buzz but i hope they don't force feed the american public into watching movies in th- in 3d i don't think that's the direction we want to go down we want to go down story driven film get more adult oriented o- audiences beside the big popcorn movie uh crowd back into a uh theater your, your opinion on 3d and the runtime is three hours and how many minutes like 10 minutes
0: yeah and uh, i can't imagine keeping 3D glasses on that long, and uh,
1: you know what I just heard today? Actually, the running time for Babylon, which is uh, the new movie with Brad Pitt, uh, Margot Robbie, almost three hours and ten minutes. Also, that is that is crazy long for that. Okay, boy.
0: but I'll sit through three hours and ten minutes of Margot Robbie. Yeah,
1: maybe maybe three but, hours and, and even minutes. with 3D huh?
0: glasses, maybe. But uh, <laughs> and,
1: and I, I
0: guess we can't say on the air what James Cameron said when the uh, executives asked him to cut the time. But, what do you say? He, uh, well, was Let's say it, it can't be repeated in uh, in polite company.
1: Okay, very good. Uh, let's do some. I just want to point out. I, I, today, I, I heard as, as we as we tape, uh, Clarence Gilliard Jr., who uh, was Theo in uh, Die Hard, the computer whiz, uh, who got punched by. Uh, um, the uh one of the, one of the, ca- the the character in uh th- that that film at, at the end i 'm trying to recall his uh, name, but anyway, he was a co star of Walker Texas Ranger, with Chuck Norris passed away at the age of sixty six sort of a bummer because the guy really did for his entire life look like the picture of health he also was a professor and taught and taught film, so th- that was a bummer to wake up and read that. I just want to point that out
0: yeah, and you saw the video I sent you where uh i guess uh, Bruce Bruce Willis says that. Die Hard isn't a Christmas
1: movie. No, it's a Christmas. I know you said that. He, he he was wrong about that. Die Hard. We'll go over this as the week's follow-up to Christmas, but, but Die Hard, Edward Scissorhands, and Batman Returns clearly are the definitive Christmas movies, at least in my uh, strange mind. Now, one,
0: one thing I wanted to mention, because every once in a while I watch something and I go, oh my God, that's pretty good. And it's a little bit of theater news. The news is out there that Jennifer Lawrence has backed out of a biopic regarding uh, the founder of uh, Theranos. And that is because she saw the uh, Hulu uh, seven-part miniseries called Dropout, where Amanda Seyfried played played Holmes. Cool. And uh, she said that nobody nobody's going to be able to top it. And I wanted to just do that sh- uh, shout-out, because as you know, Amanda Seyfried is from... My home area of Allentown, she graduated from public school, William Allen High School. And uh, I think this is her big move into uh, a real dramatic role. And she played the bipolar, Mm -hmm. manic-depressive, silly young girl who becomes a billionaire almost perfectly. I believe that is probably the way Elizabeth Holmes Really is well. I'm I mean. a fan
1: of uh, Amanda Seafried And you know, when I was uh, when I first met my wife, I we used to watch <clears throat> All My Children. Yeah, I mean, I did watch afternoon soap operas back in the day because I, I sort of was forced to. But I did enjoy it. And during one of the summer seasons, Amanda Seafried and Michael B. Jordan did a, a stint on uh, All My Children. That was my first forte watching these two uh, very talented people who have emerged uh, to have very good careers in. Uh, the film industry.
0: Yeah, I think people are going to eventually miss the soap operas as a way to sort of the minor leagues of acting.
1: Uh, Yeah, you know, and even like uh, Days of Our Lives is now straight to Peacock, uh, a streamer. But, you know, hopefully the audience that had a religious experience with these soap operas follows it on uh, Peacock because these are definitely hardworking people who, uh, it's really, it's like a click industry. It's a very unique cottage industry Industry and some of these people have done this stuff for can, 30, 40 years. Yeah, well, that, which I, is
0: incredible. I think his name was Stuart Damon. The uh, yeah, he played the prince yeah. in the Leslie Ann Warren mm-hmm. version of uh, Cinderella in the mid '60s. Yeah, and he did that and went immediately went back to uh, soap opera. And you have some people out there that never graduated from soap opera. No, I know but they've
1: done very well. And the character I was searching for in the Die Hard movie was Argyle. Okay. I, I just want to point, and I just want to point out real quick when we're on this topic of the soap opera and the choices we make I've been I, I, I text Mike all the time and and uh, today I was watching some of it I watched it last week the family man with Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone right from 2000 and I was telling my wife the reason that that movie has grown on me so much is because it really is about the ch- the choices we make and the choices we don't and being happy with what we have and We'll talk about this movie more as we get toward Christmas, The Family Man. This is a good one to watch, The Holiday Time. It sort of was underappreciated, I think. It was directed by Brett Ratner when it came out. But if you watch this movie, Tia Leone is as good as it gets in, in her career in this film. Nicolas Cage is always good. But their chemistry and banter is really good. But but it has a darkness throughout the, through its running time. Throughout its light spots, there's a darkness in this movie. And it, for me, it's extremely thought-provoking on some of the things I've done in my life, the choices I've made positive and negative. And uh, I just think it's a really good movie, like a fine wine that has gotten better and better over the last few decades. Just yeah, and that was that back out. when
0: you know Nicolas Cage actually made movies that you didn't think the entire time you had some kind of uh, – you were wondering about Nicolas Cage. But I, I actually – I enjoy that I could watch three hours and ten minutes of Tia
1: Leone, Me too. too. Me, too. I, I, I'm, I'm a big uh, fan. A couple birthdays of interest. We'll just bounce off a, we, before we get into our top ten list, which will be our main topic on this program. Uh, born this week, 1955, Howie Mandel, who was the voice of Gizmo in uh, Gremlins, born uh, November 29, 1955. Any, any mem- memories of Howie Mandel, other what? than the fact that he's a germaphobe? Uh,
0: well, I remember him uh, from his uh, TV days and you know he became a, a star on was it ER? It was one of those St. Else was, St. It, St. was St. it was, one, was one of those earlier yeah, yeah. yeah. And then then he started doing his stand up and he did his movie stuff. Uh you know, he's he's one of those guys that you look at and never think of him as super talented, but he's always been around. He's a good uh host or a good judge yeah, he does a good job. On uh on you know the the talent shows and uh, I loved him as a host of uh Deal
1: or no deal. Here's another one. I'm a big fan of this actress. Uh, Kim Delaney, NYPD Blue. She did a show show called Philly, where she played a a defense attorney. Uh, And then she was in Army Wives. She had some issues in her personal life. She was born this day, 19, uh, or this week, 1961. Uh, She'll be turned, she'll turn, she's turned 61 years old. And... um, I got to tell you, I loved, NYT, I loved NYPD Blue back in the day. I liked it even better when Jimmy Smits replaced uh, the red—what's his name? I, I don't recall his name. But I loved that show, and I thought she, as Jimmy Smiths love interest and uh, fellow police officer, detective— was awesome on that show. And I was a big, i to tell you, I know people might say Army Wise is more of a female demographic. I loved that show, Ken. I thought that was an awesome show on a, on the uh, the Lifetime Network.
0: Yeah, and being, being a fan of Brunette's, I could watch three hours and 10 minutes of Kim Delaney as well. And I think she's from Philadelphia.
1: I think so, too, and I'm definitely, definitely a fan, and she also started on uh, All My Children. One other birthday— Oh, I was going to say the one other
0: last thing is the the red-headed guy, David Caruso. David Caruso. Uh, But I, he could be on a list if we ever want to do a list of the 10 people who made the stupidest career moves ever.
1: (laughs) I I would have to—I Listen, didn't know him personally, but I would have to say he was sort of the clinical definition of a narcissist, Yes, and I think that got him— I think his head was a little too big to fit through too many doors, and I wound up burning, burning his career uh, in a lot of ways. One other birthday, really good one. Ed Harris, this week turned seventy-two years old. One hundred and ten acting credits. Apollo thirteen, uh, uh, history of violence. I love him in The Abyss from nineteen eighty-nine. His first forte is the lead in an action. Uh, Type of a vehicle. His chemistry with Elizabeth uh, Mary Master is awesome. Powerful stuff in this movie. It was a very hard shoot, but uh, Ed Harris has done so many films, elevates all of them. Also, villain, very complex, interesting villain in The Rock opposite Sean Connery and Nick uh, Cage. I love me some Ed Harris. Happy birthday, Ed. Yeah, and
0: uh, Westworld. And forget
1: Westworld. Yeah, very, very, uh, very. uh, Talented guy. Now, me and Ken have been talking about off-air about how dour some of the things in the movie industry is. And now, me and Mike have archived our best ten comedies and romantic comedies. But we're just going to bounce off to get people in a good mood. Our ten best comedies, ten best romantic comedies, or the ones we like watching. Don't necessarily have to be the best, but these are the ones off the top of our head that we li- and like. And
0: I would say I like. these these are the ten. And you know, between us, I think. We'll probably end up with 16 or 17, because we'll only have a few overlaps. But these are the ones, if I'm making a list of movies I want to watch during the holiday period, and I don't want to watch the same plot on Hallmark, where a girl comes back to town, she had fallen for the, the rich, popular guy, and now comes back to town and falls in love with a guy, in the flannel shirt. How do
1: you think they how do you think they script these
0: these these hallmark movies I like, how they do, they, they do I think they just tell them this is the general uh, topic <laughs> you guys
1: <laughs> but they ha- work though they, they did, they, hundred, you change your channels you tune into one of these Christmas movies and you're hooked and it's like watching the same movie over and over and, right? exactly and it works it's gonna end yep, yep. Yep. and it's not the biggest stars but they're basically all appealing people yeah right incredible okay let's start off uh our our enjoyable comedies that we want to get ourselves in a good mood so you go through your 10 through uh six comedies best comedies for you
0: okay uh my number 10 i i did an airplane i i kept going back and forth between airplane and naked gun. that flies yeah good 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 <laughs> uh, because i like the stupid humor me too i, I love that movie i, I like any time a nun hits Great somebody movie yep uh, Number nine, this is my favorite as a uh, as a lawyer. I actually think Marissa Tomei deserved the Academy Award. I know there's a lot of people who don't agree with me, but uh, she took a hold of that movie, as did Fred Gwynn. And interestingly, they won some uh, lesser awards before the Academy Award that might back that up. They did win the American Comedy Awards, but uh, her time on the stand as the automotive expert and the scene where the... Da, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. I ask her, well, you know, if you're such an expert, how? What's the timing on a 19 whatever Chevy with a 360 engine? And she goes, that's a fake question. Um, you know, you can't answer that. Uh, you can't answer that because they didn't make one in 1960, but in 1964 it had a 376. And you look at Fred Quinn's oh, face great. looking at her and
1: classic. Would you say cl- I say classic? Cla-
0: classic. It's great. I think the best lawyer movie ever because it was.
1: Uh, and probably what? the best movie Ralph Macho's ever been in, Non Karate Kid. Right? I think I
0: think you're right. <laughs> okay, uh, number eight, yep. uh, Trading Places. Uh, Great I, movie, I just man. I, I just love that. I love the uh, scene toward the end where the guy's uh, in the gorilla suit and is locked with the uh, male gorilla. And that in was the a
1: cage. Christ- I'm pretty sure that was a, car- a Christmas release. It, it was, and yeah. there is a Christmas scene in it. Uh, but and
0: I know we said no Christmas mu- movies, but. That one doesn't really deal with Christmas as much as it
1: was. It do, but here's the thing about that movie: it 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 Hawkins back to a time where you could release adult, and it was a dull movie, right? I mean, yep. This is an R-rated movie, very funny, great script, great talent involved, and it made a lot of money. It was very successful.
0: Yep, and you have, I have very you, good memories of that. Film. You had some great uh, cameos and yep. great supporting actors in it. Uh, number seven. Uh, Again, not the greatest of movie-making of all time, but, you know, the movie that gave us, and I think the best quote about World War II, about uh, the Germans bombing Pearl Harbor, and, of course, that was by Bluto, and that's Animal House, which, I, again, that's one of the ones I went to not knowing what to expect. I should have known what to expect from National Lampoon, but it, it was just a, a fun movie. It and, very, it, and it had, had edge. It had it edge. Did, it oh, did. Yeah. And, you know, it just reminds us of what a... Uh, great talent we lost in John Belushi yeah sure did and number six hey who are you gonna call you're gonna call Ghostbusters that was one of those movies that I I thought it was great and then when the super large the Stay puff Marshmallow Man comes I mean how can the Marshmallow Man be a danger I uh, just thought it was a, a great movie great cast and I still don't think they ever needed to remake it with a, a female cast I because- like that I mean,
1: see, me and Mike, that's one of me and Mike we have a big uh, a big uh, pet peeve on this program he hates that movie and I gotta tell you I like that movie I enjoy that movie and I enjoyed that female Ghostbusters movie for the record much better. Than last year's Ghostbusters movie, which brought back the original cast in the last act. Yeah, Much I, better yeah, for me. I,
0: I, you know me. I, yeah. I don't like sequels that are uh, okay. a generation apart right? Uh, because they're no longer the same people. and uh, But I, I mean, I loved the Ghostbusters. It was one of those movies you could watch with the whole family.
1: Got it. Okay, my number, good list, Ken. Good good, uh, 10 through 6. Here's my 10 through 6 comedies. Number 10, Nutty Professor. Do you want to laugh? Watch Eddie Murphy in that clump dinner sequence. It is like side-splittingly funny. Eddie Murphy is comic gold. This movie is good. It was a hit, deserved to be. Number 9, Bridesmaid. Same reaction. Super, 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 super funny. Very, very funny movie with a really good ensemble and uh, some big belly laughs in this film. Number eight, uh, this one harkens back to uh, the 80s, 81, author Dudley Moore. There was a time where you could laugh at this type of humor, plays a alcoholic millionaire playboy. His chemistry with uh, John Gilgood, excellent Gilgood went on to win the uh, Oscar for Best Supporting actor, I love me some author, one of my all-time favorite movies, number seven, Dumb and Dumber from 1994, great pairing of Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels, Jeff Daniels, massive talent, Jim Carrey, probably the best comic vehicle he's ever appeared in, Dumb and Dumber, and number six, uh, Miss Doubtfire from 93, what, Robin Williams, very, something very special for me about Robin Williams, I I loved, I loved him, um, and his ad-libbing in this movie and his, his quick mind in a really solid script with a lot of heart, I could argue is as good a film as he's ever done.
0: Yeah, and, and also, you know, having Sally Field doesn't hurt because I love no, I mean, it's good. Sa- Sally was, Sally's America's sweetheart. Yeah. But that's the one, you know, we were talking earlier. That's another one of those movies where, yeah, I, I can remember seeing that with my with my. I family. always,
1: I I still. I I still feel weird about Pierce Bronson, who went on to play James Bond, getting hitting it, hitting it back of the head with a coconut. Like it just like, well, but it know, is what it. Those
0: is. things happen. I know. All right. Well, my number five. Uh, it became a Broadway musical uh, that had John Lithgow and uh, Matthew Broderick in it. Uh, it the movie version, of course, Michael Caine and Steve Martin. Steve Martin with the great scene of uh, Ruprecht uh, the um, slightly deranged brother. Uh, great! It's a great comedy, and I think most people, the first time through, I don't know anybody who actually had figured out who the Jackal was the first time they saw that movie.
1: Yeah. To me, it was a total shock. It, it, it's a terrific movie. has a solid fan base. Michael Keane, who I love, has done, we all know, some not-so-good movies for a paycheck. This is one of his good ones, and his pairing... Here with Steve Martin is a home run. Good pick. My number five, I went with Slapshot from 1977. Again, they don't make movies like this anymore. A big star, Paul Newman, probably in the edgiest, riskiest performance or movie that he's ever done. He agreed to it because he said it was very funny. And it is funny. The Hanson Brothers, great characters. Um it's this movie's edgy as hell. I mean, super edgy. It has a lot of rawness. Uh, pulls no punches, but it is super funny with a terrific script and uh, features one of the great leads of all time in Paul Newman. So, number five, Slap Shot from 1977.
0: My number four, uh, again, this one's a placeholder since we said no Christmas movies. Okay, if we because the Christmas version of this, of course, we'll tackle is better. that in the next few yeah, weeks. It's yeah. better, but Chevy Chase and Family Vacation was in my number four. Wally World, the John Candy cameo, uh, the dog being dragged behind the car, the dead grandmother her dead aunt. She's good. Then it's uh, you know it's not as good as uh, as Christmas Vacation. It's much better than European Vacation. I wanted to throw one of the vacation movies on there, so that's my number four. See,
1: you're gonna you, you'd like Mike because Mike is a huge Chevy Chase fan. He loves this film. I, I gotta tell you, like I tell Mike, I, I'm just I've never been the biggest fan of Chevy Chase. I know he's done some good work. I don't want to dispel that. I'm just not the biggest fan. I know this. I do enjoy this movie, but uh, wouldn't be on my top t- top ten. Number four for me. Uh, very few movies when I watched in its initial run did I say to myself in my mind's eye. You know what? This movie's a classic. School of Rock, Jack Black. When I sat in a movie theater in 2003 with my wife at the Regal in Eastern Pennsylvania, Friday afternoon for a show, I was like, you know what? This movie's a classic. Jack Black was never better. I love him. I love him. I think he's an awesome talent. This movie made me laugh. It has heart. Great comedy. Hollywood, please, make movies like this again. School of Rock, number four.
0: Now, this this one, it just happened that I have two Chevy Chase in a row, I don't view this again. Really, I don't really view All right. Know, I don't view this as a Chevy Chase vehicle because to me, it's Bill Murray as the gardener, uh, do his little ad lib where he smacks the flowers. It's Lacey Underalls. It's uh, it is Ted Knight. It's Ronnie Dangerfield and his amazing golf equipment. Uh, and it's uh, of course Caddyshack. I, I don't think I'm of all those people. Uh, Chevy Chase is probably the least...
1: He's almost a straight man in that film. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Bill Murray's awesome in that movie. I love it because I love Rodney Dangerfield. Love Rodney Dangerfield. And Ted Knight, pretty funny guy. Really good. Uh, Good pick. My number two... uh, My number three, excuse me. uh, I went with Naked Gun 1 and 3 because to me... They just mesh into super funny stuff. Leslie Nielsen was born to play the role of Frank uh, Drebin. Uh, baseball sequence in the first one, comic gold. Oscar sequence in, in 33 and a half, comic gold. side spillingly funny. I could watch it over and over on a repeat loop. Uh, number three, Naked Gun 1 and 3.
0: And I, I bet a lot of uh, networks and a lot of theaters
1: wouldn't even play it today because of O.J., Sadly. I would say th- that would be correct. You know, it's interesting because, you know, one of my favorite films of all time is The Towering Inferno. And I thought O.J. Simpson was, he's actually really good. He was. Like, he's, he really was. Good. He was. he's really good. And he's really good in Naked Gun movies. He's really good in, in The Towering Inferno. He's very super likable. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think that is would be an issue. My number two, uh, go back to 63. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. One of great ensembles. And I got to tell you, did a revival of it here a few years ago pre-COVID when Ethel Merman slips on that banana peel (laughs) when they're all laid up in the hospital at the end of this film for me so cathartic like from the complete three hour experience of that classic film with one of the great casts of everybody and anybody who was anybody in the comedic world in the 60s uh powerful funny stuff um So many great memories of that film. So it's a mad, 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 mad world. Uh, Stanley Kramer's masterpiece of a comedy, number two.
0: You cut out my number two, but that's okay. I'll give it to you now. That's not right. It's Matthew Broderick, and I know you're not a big Matthew Broderick fan. No, I
1: like him. This movie uh, is I mixed on. I
0: I, I like Ferris Bueller. Uh, As I've said before, it could not all take place in one day. But again, it's one of those movies that I can watch with my family, and I watch it over and over again.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of people would agree with you. I just listened. To, the thing with that movie for me is I know it's very well made. I know it's involving. I know the the parade sequence in Chicago is awesome. The character of Ferris for me is just so, so snaky right. that it bothers me. It always did. Okay, my number one, back to school, Rodney Dangerfield, who is a huge fan of. I think it's one of the great star vehicles for any comic On stage to screen. Great script, super funny. His one liners work like a glove. Everyone, he, he, every, every, there's so many home runs in this movie. uh, And it has powerful, hot, his chemistry with his son, Keith Gordon, this movie, Robert Downey Jr., one of his uh, films when he was younger, uh, co stars. But Rodney Rodney Dangerfield is super, super good in this movie. And when I sat in a theater, uh, back in 1986, numerous times watching it, I always remember how much the crowd reacted and had such a great time, such a great time. And we need more of that in this culture where people go in collectively to a theater to watch movies like this. So number one, back to, the, my, back my, to school.
0: My number one show is actually on tonight on network television. Really? Yes, but they're doing the redacted woke version. Starts at 8, it ends at 8.07, and there's five minutes of commercials. And of course, that would be Blazing Saddles. I saw that movie for the first time Mm -hmm. with my best friend in high school who was African-American. And we've talked about it enough, but just a little, some people don't understand this. The one little uh, tidbit about it, Mm -hmm. the theme song was sung by Frankie Lane, the great Western singer, who also sang the theme from High Noon. Mm -hmm. Frankie Lane thought he was actually singing a song for a dramatic Western.
1: So let me ask you a question. I love Blazing Saddles. I think it's an iconic movie. Uh, The idea of good comedy, when you sit, when either whether it's on stage or you're watching a movie, is to make people a little uncomfortable, right? That should be the that is the barometer. So what has happened in our culture in this woke cult? Not that I disagree with all woke. There's some merit to everything, right? There's you know it's like politics. There's always you could always agree with kernels in, 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 in arguments on both sides. I think that's what makes a healthy democracy, right? So how did we get to the point where a movie like Blazing Saddles would never see the light of day in a movie theater? Because never.
0: It, it's it's, it's going to be an ironic uh, term to use here, but yeah. today we see everything in black and white.
1: Mm-hmm. white. Back then back white. then
0: we saw things in grays. I don't know. It's almost like we've lost our... Are we our, being
1: force-fed this idea? I think so. It's yeah. like
0: we've lost our ability... To think critically. Oh, uh, you know, Mel Brooks must be anti-Semitic because he glorifies Hitler in uh, The Producers. No, he's not glorifying Hitler in The Producers. No, he's not making fun of Jewish people in Blazing Saddles.
1: He is Jewish. Right. Like, I mean, the idea—if you don't—if you don't shine the light on everything, then you have nothing. Right. 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 And the
0: yeah. the two the strongest characters mm-hmm. in. Blazing Saddles are a drunk and an African American, and so if you understand that, you get what they're doing. But these are the same people who won't allow the book To Kill a Mockingbird in schools because it uses the N word. Right, but they don't understand why. I, it listen, it. I
1: remember when we did a uh, revival of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yep. Right, and I was nervous that people would be offended. Like, I, I not that I was nervous. But, like, you feel uncomfortable about, even listen, to, there was a lot of hoopla about Gone with the Wind a few years ago, right? They'll take it off. They actually removed it from HBO Max, right? Because people started to revisit what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. And um, I, I, that's concerning. That's To me, that's concerning. Because I think to, to, whether you agree or laugh, you could always get up and walk. Right, if you're at a you do you've done stand-up comedy, you know that world. You know a lot of really good comics, and you know some of these comics have, do do, and their intent is to offend the audience. That's what gets the goat, right? That's what makes people laugh. So, being a little bit uncomfortable, uh, and, and, and Don Don Rickles knew that better than anybody. Right? Yeah, uh, it's the whole ab- idea of the
0: Absolutely. Act. And I think we're going to have to save our other list till next yeah, week. Yeah, we that, That's even better. Yeah. But uh, because this is an important, uh, important, important sure. area to talk about. Uh. Uh, yeah, we, we get to this point where we, you know, we, we start, you know, we censor Gone with the Wind, although it's a period piece. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and suggest we should ever show the original birth of a nation. Mm-hmm. That is racism for the purpose of racism. I get it. 100%. I, I'm not going to suggest that we should ever, you know, do do anything that glorifies racism. Mm-hmm. I agree. But, you know, if somebody wants to do a comedy about Hitler, I'm going to watch it because I'm probably one of the three people in the world who've ever watched on Netflix, they did in Germany, uh, a comedy w- where Hitler woke up in in the modern world mm-hmm. and still, thought, you know, he was still Hitler. So if the Germans... Can be making fun of Hitler, you know. We can't. It's, we got he to
1: Here's what's interesting too. Spielberg, after um, the third Indiana Jones movie, said he's not. He doesn't want to go back. If he had to do it over again, probably wouldn't have Harrison Ford battle the Nazis, right? So in this Indiana Jones five, directed by Mangold, Indiana Jones is going to battle the Nazis again. Interesting.
0: It, it's interesting, but yeah. the other thing I'm thinking of is the one thing we probably could never make today, yeah. and probably for a good reason, are all of the World War II movies and the way we characterized Japanese Americans in those movies. Because they, I mean, they, our characterization far worse than the mm-hmm. the Nazis. Our characterization of them is always the same. They basically have babies on their bayonets, and they're you know they, they all wear glasses. They're all leering at women. And yeah, that that was when we were purposely mm-hmm. being racist mm-hmm. in our movies. I, I'd hate to see us ever go back to that because it was propaganda. But if you watch Blazing Saddles and you think it's at all racist, you've missed what Mel Brooks was trying to do. Here's the
1: point. The point is you just had what's called a conversation, right? There's a conversation to be had about everything. And everything and anything ultimately comes out in the wash if you wash it hard enough right yeah. so a good conversation is a healthy thing and that's why i like doing this this program and
0: the por- the portrayal uh, yeah. by uh, hattie mcdaniel yeah in uh, gone with the wind
1: well they actually
0: softened the portrayal of the black person in in the south before the war i mean it was they you know it's not it's not like we were making it m- worse we actually you know humanized them a bit more in the film I know people have trouble with my favorite Christmas movie because of the scene with the housekeeper in um, Holiday well, in Inn. End, right? yeah. But yet, it's she is the one who, in the end, mm-hmm. comes comes off as the wise person who tells Jim that you know he's, he's let his uh, girl be stolen by a city slicker, and if he went back there, he'd be able to get her back.
1: Right. I. I uh... I would agree. So, uh, any anything uh, before we wrap it up on this show? Great having you here it was a really it was a pleasure. I had a really good time. Yeah, anything else I, on your mind?
0: I, no, I like the fact that we got into that whole issue of the cancer cult, the cancel culture and yeah. that because um, that is something we're going to see as we go forward with movies.
1: Yeah, listen, I mean, it's a reality. Uh, we've we've seen we we've, we've seen it. There's a lot of collateral damage. Like I said, there's 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 some there's some positive points in anything. But uh, if you broad brush and you take it to one side of the street, uh, not always a healthy thing. So, uh, Ken, it was a pleasure. Uh, to, to, to Mike, your spirit's here. We, uh, well, we uh, look forward to your return and to the World War audience and to our podcast audience. Have a uh, great week and uh, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.